Shucks, howdy, partners. How y'all doing? Welcome to the Bomb Squad podcast. I am your host, Tim M. Sullivan. And with me, I have... I'm Austin Zwiebelman. I'm Rain Conversi. I am Ethan Hawker. Last I checked. And today we have not one, but two special guests, including three-time all-time champion. Oh. <laughs> I'm uh, Ed Johnston. And a new guest to the podcast. Hey guys, I'm Joe Johnson. I also go by Joe Showstrand because there's 43 of me on IMDb. And yeah, I'm a longtime associate and watcher of the show. I'm just glad to be here. Thank you. All right. Happy to have both of you on here. This is going to be a fun cast. Today we are talking about the 2001 film Cowboy Bebop the movie, a.k.a. Cowboy Bebop knocking on heaven's door. Before we kind of get into uh, feelings on the movie, I want to just talk a bit about the lead director, Shinichiro Watanabe, because it's probably going to be my only chance to really go in depth on him in the podcast because he doesn't really direct a lot of movies. He's mainly a TV guy. Shinichiro Watanabe, he created the Cowboy Bebop series, and he's the lead director in the movie. He's created a couple other shows, including Samurai Champloo, Kids on the Slope, Space Dandy, Terror in Resonance, uh, Carol and Tuesday. And he also directed some episodes on a couple other shows, including Escaflone, Gundam 0083, and uh, Ethan's on here, so we're very happy for me to mention that uh, he co-directed Macross Plus. Yes. He also has directed some some shorts that were in um, anthology films. He directed two of these shorts in Animatrix. He directed uh, Detective Story and Kid Story. And he also directed a short in the uh, Genius Party film. Uh, he directed Baby Blue. He directed a short film that was uh, concurrent with Blade Runner 2049. He directed an animated short called Blade Runner Blackout 2022. And he's also producing the uh, Black Lotus series that's about to come out. He's also done a lot of uh, music production on various animes. He music produced on Mind Game the uh, Masaki Yuasa film, uh, Michiko and Hachin, the Loop on the Third series, the one called Fujikomine. He's got a big body of work. He's worked on a lot of really great shows, and he's he's worked on a lot of music-oriented stuff, and he, he's made it clear that he's a music-oriented director, which I think makes his work really interesting to engage with. Rain has a question. Yes, Rain. <laughs> No, I had a statement. Um, you're forgetting the episodes. Uh, he also directed all the episodes with Fred Fredberger on Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. Um, I'm ashamed you forgot to mention that. You're, you're right. I'm, I'm so sorry. It's his best work. Why would Tanner do this specifically? Why would he put you up to say this incredibly something thing? Yeah. I'm blaming Tanner for this. Oh. So, yeah, now that uh kind of talked a bit about uh, the director... Who I feel like he—he's he, a known name in like the anime series world, but maybe not in the anime film world. But he's worked on some very influential stuff, so I just wanted to kind of shout him out a little bit. Uh, but now that I've finished talking about him, uh, three, two, one, let's jam. Uh, let's talk about our history with Cowboy Bebop. This is a show that's—it's very big with anime fans, particularly anime fans in the West. It, it's a—it's a very big like starter anime series like like i remember at one point the uh, head of ftvp at webster 
uh, Aaron Abishaw, and he, he was like coming to me and asking for anime recommendations. Uh, he was just like, <laughs> I, I started watching Cowboy Bebop. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's it's a show that uh, it has a very broad appeal. I think it's interesting to kind of see where people started with it. Um, so Austin, why don't you give us your journey? I've never seen this man before in my life. Uh, Cowboy Bebop premiered on Adult Swim, I think, September 2nd, 2001, otherwise known as, I think, the uh, the day after the movie premiered in Japan. Mm-hmm. I've been seeing commercials for it my entire life, and I, I had a couple points where I just went back and I tried to watch the first couple episodes, and something about the pacing was off. Or it just felt like the first few episodes weren't connected enough to, like, a bigger premise. So I always bailed at the last second. But I I have lots of hot friends who like Cowboy Bebop, you know? There's that joke that Cowboy Bebop is the anime for people who don't like anime. Uh, But until yesterday when I watched this movie, Cowboy Bebop to me was just... See a space cowboy and that clip of Vine on YouTube where he's eating the psychedelic mushrooms. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I would say, um, as far as like getting into the show, I think episode five is where it really picks up. It, that, that's where it really takes off. So, so if you really want to get into it, just just give it till episode five. Hey, which one was episode five again? Uh, that that is uh, Ballad of Fallen Angels. That's where they introduce oh. Vicious. So yeah, uh, Rain, would you give us your thoughts on your, your origin story with Cowboy Bebop? Alright, it's quite the tale. Just copy-paste uh, Austin's answer onto me. You basically have it. Like, I've known it exists forever. It's been on my watch list forever. Everyone, All my anime friends say it's great. All my friends who don't like anime say it's great. It just hasn't happened yet. I just haven't had the chance to. I know it's not like that long. I think it might have been on a few times on Tanami when I was a kid, and I probably just didn't watch it because it didn't have big lasers or, or people summoning frogs. I was like, oh, well, what's the point? I don't know. Yeah, I am interested, especially to see, like, why, um, what it is about, what it is about exactly that makes makes it appeal so much to non-anime fans in particular. I assume it's be, it probably doesn't have a lot of the, uh, a lot of the elements that, that drives, like, casual audiences away from anime. All righty. That's fair. Uh, Ethan, you give us your origin story. So this is going to be one of those those times where I'm not like super um, like I've, I've watched the series. Um, I watched it back when I was in middle school and I never really revisited after that. It's a show I remember liking quite a bit. Um, I think I watched it on streaming, um, but I only like half paid attention to a lot of it. I admit I like Watanabe's work. I, you know, I've seen Space Dandy um, and uh, of mm-hmm. course, Macross Plus, another collaboration with Yoko Kano. So that's really, really good. Um, mm-hmm. But um no, I, I've never absolutely loved Bebop. Um, I, I've always had Lupin in my heart to fill um, that sort of yeah. dynamic. I, I should revisit Cowboy Bebop properly. I wanted to do it for this, but I did not mm-hmm. um, because I'm poor at time management. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I had a really fun time visiting because I've never seen this film in particular. Mm-hmm. I never saw Knocking on uh, Heaven's Door and I had a good time with it um, despite a, a few minor issues. And I'm excited mm-hmm. to talk about it. Awesome. Uh, Ed. So, growing up, there are two anime, the gateway animes for black kids. One is Dragon Ball Z, and the second one is Cowboy Bebop. Because Cowboy Bebop has to be the blackest anime, like, ever. Uh, the jazz music, the kung fu, like, it, like, it emulates kung fu movies, which is really huge in the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we loved Bruce Lee. 
so with Spike coming in there, uh, finding like Bruce Lee to jazz music, like you don't, you can't get a blacker anime. So I, I grew up uh, watching. It. I think the first um, episode I watched was like the one that introduced Faye Valentine, um, the one where she's at the convenience store, I think. Oh, and, yeah. and the first thing that caught me, uh, that, that hooked me in, or that, that kind of reeled me in, I was like, damn, them some short shorts. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, I, right, uh, what's what's this all about? But then, like, I, I get introduced to this, and it was really fun. It was really, I mean, it's a, it's a really fade-heavy um, episode anyway, too. So I was like, who are these other characters? I need to find out. Um, it actually took me years to go back and watch the first three episodes. Um I believe it's episode four or episode three. Yeah. I can't remember. I, I didn't watch the first couple of episodes for a while because I was watching the tsunami and it's very sporadic. But I, I was so I was so religious um, I, about it. I loved it. I still love it to this day. Uh, it's it's my jam. <laughs> mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, uh, Joe. So I really heard about bebop back when i was a kid like i always kind of knew about it and i've always like on cartoon network i think the first time i ever like saw like frames of it was like i was watching samurai jack one night and then it literally cut to like the real folk blues and i was like wait what the fuck is this <laughs> and there's like adult swim came on and i was like whoa this looks really cool and then i just kind of forgot about it for like 10 years and i think i was like talking with some of my older cousins because they were like super into it and they kind of like recommended it to me and I was like really into DBZ and Naruto and stuff so I was like well I want to watch more critically acclaimed things so uh, there was one time I think we my family was taking like a driving trip to Florida and I just remember binging the entire series just on that trip Mm -hmm. and it was like holy shit (laughs) this this series is amazing it hit it like a really really the right time in my life I'd always kind of gotten into anime through things like the animatrix and which i know i think tim mentioned earlier i think Mm -hmm. shichiro watanabe directed some stuff on that yeah and um i think um interstellar 555 i just bought the daft punk uh discovery album and i think just the combination of those two really really made this show hit and it was it was fantastic and it got Mm -hmm. me into a lot of other anime like kind of the more typical stuff like uh, fma death note attack on titan but I, I just kind of value this show over all of them just because it's like really cool. And I just love how kind of cinema-esque this series feels mm-hmm. compared to a lot of other anime. Because like I, I noticed that like with a lot of contemporary stuff, they kind of try to emulate the manga where this it's like I feel like there's cinematography that's almost kind of like very classical mm-hmm. sort of compared to like the modern stuff. So, yeah, I, I love Bebop. I've always loved Bebop and I always will love Bebop. <laughs> awesome. I'm interested that like... Uh, uh, out of the actual like bomb spot people, I'm the only one who like has a deep history with it. Uh, so I, I think it's interesting that uh, we get in a, like kind of a mix of perspectives on this podcast. Um, yeah, uh, it was uh, one of those things for me where. It was a show that I'd heard about for a while as a kid, uh, but since I didn't have cable until like 2007, I wasn't really able to watch it unless I was at someone else's house. But I remember the first night I watched it at my sister's house. I remember the three things that I watched that night. It started with the Adult Swim pilot, Korgoth of Barbaria. Which is just this hyper violent, oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, like primal type thing. 
it's so good but i guess they didn't uh pick it up as a series because it was too expensive to make and i watched that and then the first episode of bebop i watched came on which was brain scratch which is a really weird episode that deals with like theological and like it deals with some weird stuff that like 13 year old me was not ready for (laughs) and uh so that that was that was just like it was one of those experiences that i think is crucial to any uh young anime fans life is that you need to watch something that traumatizes you just a little bit for a lot of people of a certain age it was tuning into the sci-fi channel and watching akira for me it was a brain scratch (laughs) Uh, and then uh the thing that came on right after that was a show that i had not heard of before called uh neon genesis evangelion oh no (laughs) or as i thought it was pronounced neon genesis evangelion Uh, but uh yeah the the episode of that that they played was a weaving a story two which was like this episode where shinji gets eaten by the eva and they have to like save him and there's this sequence of all of the female characters coming at him topless like what the shit am i watching oh, right no. now oh no it was that was just such a mind-blowing night for me i was not <laughs> ready for the things that i witnessed i think that's uh, i think that's the beauty of anime though is just how everything is so original and just like creative yeah yeah i think that that it opened my mind to uh different uh kinds of content it was definitely something that made me more interested in watching more of that and also watching more of evangelion so as soon as uh we got cable they didn't have eva on at the time but uh cowboy Viva was just like going right on the dvr so i started watching from wherever they were at that particular time i want to say it was like close to whenever they did like pure the foe episode where they're fighting the like child man but yeah i've watched through all of that watched it on dvd and blu-ray several times and it's it was a big show for me as a uh young up-and-coming anime fan and it, it it's it's like that for a lot of people so i i think it's always an interesting one to kind of see people's histories with so uh now that we've kind of talked about that let's talk about uh the movie because it, it's it's a, it's an interesting movie. Uh, what what did you guys kind of think of it? Uh, Austin, we'll start with you. They really nailed the aspect of making this accessible to people who haven't seen the series. Mm-hmm. I was really worried that it was going to be like somebody showing their grandma the Matrix Revolutions, except I'm the grandma <laughs> in this scenario. Fortunately, you pick up really quick on what the deal is. I can't help but personally compare Knock It On Heaven's Door to Serenity, the Firefly movie, because they're both this sort of um, movie about a massive corporation that does something unspeakable, and they're trying to cover it up in spite of what the protagonists are up to, because this is a really, really narrow genre, space westerns. The animation, voice acting, especially the the music, is uh, quite good. I think if you were like, this movie's distinctive personality is sort of like this teenage charm where it tries to tackle philosophical concepts. While not veering off, you know, the sci-fi road into fantasy land, say, if you erase someone's past and they could see dreamlike things in reality that no one else can... Have you created the conditions where reality itself is a dream they can't wake from? 
uh, I thought the butterflies were cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, this movie, like the show for me, kind of suffered from like pacing issues. The middle drags a little. The falling action ends too soon. But it's cool as hell. And I'd actually be comfortable showing this to people who don't like anime. Mm-hmm. It's a good movie. Awesome. Rain, tell us your thoughts. Oh, boy. I can't <laughs> wait to be the, the big bad of this episode. No. I did so I'll start. I did like the movie. It's a good movie. Good movie. Maybe it's just the mood I was in that day, but um or how should I put this? Animation, spectacular. The characters, very charming and likable. And like Austin said, uh does a fantastic job. Because from what I understand, this takes place like in the middle of the series or so, near the end of the series. So the fact so that you're able to, basically like, uh it, it, yeah, it's explain. like twenty two and twenty three. I don't I don't know if this has ever been made like official official, but the general consensus is that it's set between mm-hmm. episodes 22 and 23. This occurs sometime in between, I think, episodes 21 and 22 or 22 and 23. So it's like towards the end. That's what I heard went with my yeah. light research. Like, it does a pretty solid job uh, as just mm-hmm. like a standalone adventure for someone with no experience of the series. I just gotta say, as uh, fun as these characters were to follow around and as amazing as this world was to uh, step inside uh, and and look at, it just, it was just too simple of a standalone story. Like, it was just too straightforward. Just like, it wasn't, there just wasn't enough meat on it for me to really, uh, really be invested and it almost felt like they were trying so hard to make it a um standalone thing that um can work without uh context mm. of the show that there just wasn't enough there to build on if that makes sense i don't even know if it makes sense to me no, i get you i don't know the vibe i got from a lot of people because like i felt like a i felt like a, a war criminal <laughs> gave it giving it a like a three stars when everyone else was giving it like four and a half stars in letterbox but a consensus i saw is a lot of people and this was from people uh, who saw the series before they saw this as like mm-hmm. one big last hurrah before like from my understanding a kind of, kind of melancholy mm-hmm. ending yeah. to the series so i think um maybe there's just a bigger there's just that context of how this uh the story ends for these characters that's kind of missing for me to fully appreciate it but yeah i gotta say as um i love the spectacle i really really appreciate just how like low tech this uh sci-fi mm-hmm. world is like how like the convenience it's just it's like any sort of uh you know convenience store you know you'll find like in a downtown area i think that's cool and then little bits of culture that we get um in each of the neighborhoods and even how like the side characters are pretty memorable that's all great it's just um i felt like the the main plot was just too straightforward just like veteran man was mistreated I feel like there's stories that do that add a lot more depth to that. Um, and also, maybe it doesn't help that the main villain just reminded me a lot of that mass shooter simulator mm. game, uh, Hatred. Like, he just reminded me of the protagonist of that. <laughs> like, just, if you know what I'm talking about, he, he, you can't get that. I couldn't get that out of my head. It's interesting choice of calling him the protagonist. <laughs> Those are my thoughts, I guess. Like, there's probably more uh, deep in my brain, but that's the that's the gist of it for me. Yeah, I would say that's fair. It kind of, uh, in some ways, kind of plays on the thing that a lot of, like, shonen anime movies kind of do, where it's just like, it's another adventure with these characters, but we have a higher animation budget kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, yeah, I would say that's pretty common with uh, anime movies. So it, it's it's not, not, it's not not guilty of that. <laughs> All right, Ethan... Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I, I did really enjoy it. Um, it. It definitely hits that that good blend somewhere, you know, between like one of the more serious Lupin specials and like Crusher Joe. Um, 
or even like Pat Labor the movie, um, if you want to talk about like a stasis and that sort of thing. I think on on some level, you're I definitely agree. It does kind of suffer from that that shown in movie thing or like Lupin TV specials where it very much feels sometimes just like an episode stretched out into a film. Um, so there there are some pacing issues. Um, and I think the, the way they could have mitigated it, um, not to jump into the next question on the itinerary already, is I feel like Vincent and Electra could have been developed a bit further if we'd spend a bit more time with time of our runtime with them. It could have been still very standalone, but stronger. And I feel like they could have better, like, counterpointed maybe, like, you know, Spike's relationship in the main series, um, made it tie in in a way that still makes it accessible. But but even despite some of its deficiencies, like, um, some, sometimes the pacing is a little bit lacking. Overall, I had a really good time with it. Um, it was a very, very fun sort of adventure. The overall, like, uh, aside from, again, those, those very minor rough spots um yeah it's got a, got a really um not even really rough just sort of draggy i guess would be more apt um it's got a very good pace to it um the the animation is of course gorgeous particularly when you have the dog fight sequences um mm-hmm. you know coming off macross plus of course uh, the digital animation um and cg is actually very well integrated overall um there's some neat camera movements and and not a not a ton of cg elements um like you see in the the when it uh, the camera backs away in the train car and again during some of the dogfight, you get a little bit of that and it looks looks good. Um, it integrates pretty well, and of, of course, you know, it's just fun, a good time. Um, yeah. Sort of a lame way to end, but <laughs> all right, uh, Ed, what are your thoughts? So this is my I watched this again the second time for the podcast. Mm. The first time I watched it was when the dub was originally released, and that was like I think a couple of years after the show ended. So, uh, like how Rain was saying, like if you're a fan of the show and you loved it, and, and at the end of it you were standing up cheering when you found out that like the movie was getting dubbed, and you finally got a chance to get your hands on it, like the series was already over at that point. So it's like, like I had those those rose colored glasses, and I was just like, oh man, I miss you guys. Oh well, that was the last thing I'm gonna get from you guys. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and then, um, but then watching it as an adult, it's a little it's a little different. It really dragged on a whole lot. I think out of all of the canonical villains of Bebop, Vincent is um, the worst, which kind of gets us to the next question. But uh, mm-hmm. but he's he's like the worst. Like um, mm-hmm. fuck the the fucking guy from the first episode, who the druggy guy <laughs> with his uh, his girlfriend who was pretending to be pregnant. Like they had more like character death and development in their episode than you know mm. Vincent and, and and you know so like they were like they were really the weakest part I forgot how 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 much they sexualized uh, Faye and she's such a great character mm. like I love her like character of like how she's like just I don't know like supernaturally unlucky but like she keeps getting put into these situations and and, and that's just her thing and but like I don't know the part where where the Vincent like takes her and like just you know, kisses her and you know implies. Yeah. I guess he implied that he raped her. I don't know. I don't fucking know. And then he like cut her fucking shirt off. I was like, that's so. I don't know. I think when I was a teenager, when I was younger, it was like, oh, spicy. <laughs> but like as an adult, I look. I look back on that. And it's just so cringy, and it's like there was no reason to do that. Nothing in Vincent's character suggested. I mean, I guess they're just trying to show him off as being a, a fucking a disgusting villain. Because, like, a lot of the things he did didn't make sense. He just, like, mindlessly did stuff. Um, and that's, that's I guess, into it. But, I don't know. I just I just think it's a detriment to Faye. 
especially because, like, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm not. Even, I'm, 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 I'm gonna move on from that. But uh, this, I think, with talking about Faye again and all the characters, this is like a good snapshot of each one of the characters and like uh, their strengths on the crew, and you see why they like hang out and like. I mean, they all do things. Uh, separately, but then they always come together in the end. That's like literally how every episode works. It's like they hear about a bounty, everyone goes off and figures it out on their own way. They all have their own style of investigating, and it, it feels very eclectic and, and, and chaotic. But then at the end, it's like they all come together to not get the bounty, <laughs> but they, they all come together in the end to try and, to try and work together, and, and then like end up not doing it at all. I, I hated how this movie didn't really have a, have a resolution. Vincent just didn't shoot because in the last, like, I, I think there was only, like, 10 seconds left for the movie. He, like, realized, oh, I know this girl. <laughs> and then she, he, you know, he just doesn't shoot. And then um, that's it. I don't know. It, it was just Vincent them, which we'll talk about them in a minute. But other than that, I loved everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it did the pacing was an issue everybody says that um second time around i think i fell asleep during the dog fight scene um <laughs> on on accident i was like watching it overnight i was tired but it they also didn't grab my attention that much i mean it was like it was it was a cool scene i was even thinking too i was like oh man that looks really good and then i wake up so next thing i know spike and vincent are fighting on top of the the side i'm like oh well <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I've seen it before, so mm-hmm. yeah, I felt bad like not um not like liking the movie more when the dog fight was coming around because I was like, man, this is yeah. this is so great, like the mm-hmm. animation on display. But yeah, I mean, it also looked really good, it looked really good too. But it was also like unnecessary, and I think that's what I was thinking too. I was like, why is the army randomly attacking Spike? It's not really explained. Yeah. I think, I mean, mm-hmm. I, it's very, I guess it's because they're trigger happy. I mean, I think it might help if they was going for a scorch earth, like, uh, method where they was like, anybody mm-hmm. that's moving right now that's not at the parade, you need to kill them. Because <laughs> that's what it said. That's what it felt like. Yeah. And I was like, that was unnecessary. There's no real reason, no rhyme or reason for re- why the, the army just, military just starts attacking Spike. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It looked really cool, though. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Joe, what are your thoughts? I guess I'll definitely start out by saying, like, there was a lot. The animation and the visual direction were just, like, kind of carried the movie. I kind of understand, like, some of the more plot points were, like, not as solid. But I feel like the animation was always, like, just so fluid. And even just, like, the flow of action was always consistent. There was always something, like, going from one shot to another shot where it's, like, it almost the edits almost carried over and kind of, like, really, really helped strengthen, like, the fight scenes. And I felt like a lot of that really, to me, I thought the movie was, like, edited the pacing might have been overall not great, but for me, I felt like within the scenes, I thought the editing there mm. was fine. I will say about the ending with Spike and the, or Electra and Vincent, um, we're going to get into that in a second, but like, I literally was like, what? I, I, whenever he was like, I actually loved her in a past life, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, there was a just moment that felt so like just kind of randomly thrown in. I mean, I, I did go back and rewatch some of it and it was like, oh, they do kind of foreshadow it a little bit and like the prison scene but it just felt so kind of like thrown in there it was like really i don't really know what i think about it yet but um 
because I've only seen the movie like the for the one time last night. Okay. But overall, I really I think my favorite part was like when Spike is just kind of walking around the city and kind of like looking for stuff and you get to see all these little vignettes of him like asking people questions and kind of like these shots on the street. And I I really think that is one of the reasons I love it. I like mm-hmm. more kind of atmospheric films and I really think it really was one of the best parts and just kind of seeing that from bebop and i just love the tone and the atmosphere in general and i think that's kind of a reason i just love 90s anime more than contemporary mm-hmm. stuff where it's like they they kind of make that to the forefront versus modern day stuff where it's like oh the plot points are kind of the main thing you gotta keep you can't deviate from the plot or you you're gonna ruin the story but i feel like now it's like really more insight into the characters and stuff and I guess overall, it just felt like after seeing this, I haven't seen the series in like four years. It just kind of felt like nice to see these characters doing something else, you know, in the original, like then the original series. It kind of felt like, you know, kind of how um, Disney wants people to feel with like the Star Wars movies where it's like, (laughs) oh, we're coming home to like these classic characters and stuff, you know, and I was just like, oh, man, this is super cool. But Mm -hmm. yeah, overall, I would say I liked it, but I definitely think that there are some weaker things more in the plot, like plot points, I think are a little bit weaker, but I definitely think that the characters and visuals kind of like help take us through the film. I think it really, really worked for me. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I guess uh, to start off uh, my thoughts, I don't know if any of y'all have ever watched a uh, top 10 anime films YouTube video, but they're 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 all basically the same list. It's Akira, <laughs> Ghost in the Shell, uh, Perfect Blue, oh, Paprika, uh, five Ghibli mm-hmm. films. Uh, bonus points <laughs> if any of those Ghibli films is not directed by Hayao Miyazaki. And then uh, Cowboy <laughs> Bebop the movie will usually end up on the list. And I, I wouldn't put it on my top 10, probably wouldn't put it on my top 20, uh, but I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I get why it's that, I get I get why it's that big with a lot of people, because uh, for one thing, it has the association with this, this huge series that's just like very highly regarded. Uh, so it has that helping it but then also it has a lot of aspects that it make it work well despite sort of the uh not great pacing the dragging in the middle other issues we'll get into a bit later but the visuals are absolutely stunning like it was made during that peak era of the like late 90s early 2000s where they did just perfected cell animation uh, and we got stuff like Vampire Hunter D, Bloodlust uh, Spriggan and this uh, it, it's one of those movies where just every frame looks like a painting that belongs in a museum so it's just so gorgeous to look at I always enjoy it on that aspect alone and the fights were all a lot of fun I particularly enjoy uh, the fist fight at the end between Spike and Vicious the animation that is really good um, and it, it's just this really intense brawl between the two of them which made it very entertaining to engage with 
But yeah, it, I would say its biggest issues are the pacing, and then uh, Ed had kind of mentioned the weird, uh, salty stuff regarding Faye, which that's one of those things. Like when you're kind of an edgy high schooler, it it doesn't it doesn't seem as out of place. But then when you watch it as an adult in the year 2021, it's kind of when you're younger, you're like, oh, this is provocative, this is uh, powerful, and then as you get older, like, well, yeah, just because it's yeah, exactly, you know. Um, it kind of comes with a lot of my problems with um, the way Faye gets handled a lot. And I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. that's not what Snobby's doing. I'm pretty sure it was studio meddling. Yeah. Um, because she's like, she's only there mm-hmm. to be the damsel. And um, she gets mm-hmm. put into these um, suggestive sexual positions and situations all the time. Like, like the first episode I saw was the one where... Um, they caught her and she's in the bathroom and I'm pretty sure it's a super iconic scene where she has her hands hanging up like this they have her hands like cuffed up and she has her hand legs crossed you know what I'm saying and it's like it's a very like provocative pose and but if you take a step back and just watch her origin episode like she has a lot of heart and she's like Mm -hmm. one of my favorite characters and I don't know I think I think it started off because I was a horny teenager (laughs) but uh, when you learned about her she's she's up there as one of my favorite um, female characters in anime and I just I just hate how they how they treat her sometimes yeah that's that's totally fair I think in the series you get more of her kind of being like a badass where in the movie Mm -hmm. uh you don't get that as many moments of that but yeah and then another issue that uh i think it needs to be mentioned is there's a weird joke in that little uh ed montage that is not only transphobic a little pedophilic it it hasn't aged well It's just not a good joke. But if you can get past this weird little moment, the rest of the movie, uh, it, there's there's stuff to enjoy about it. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Because I always thought about that, too. I was like, so are you implying that if he, if she was a little boy, then... There's, there's, there's no good answer to that <laughs> one. Uh, no. <laughs> besides that, I do think that there's plenty to enjoy about the movie. And uh, like Austin said, I think it's accessible. Unfortunately, not... Uh, accessible in the way of like being able to watch it because it was released on blu-ray by sony like a decade ago and then when funimation got the series they eventually got the movie but they did this shitty just like really limited release of it which like i i've heard that the limited release blu-ray that they did of it is a very good blu-ray release but there was just it was so limited that it was so hard to get your hands on and now it's in the hundreds of dollars it's definitely a shame that it's not as easy to come by these days but i do think that it's one of those things where if if you're interested in bebop and you want to just kind of get a really visually stunning just like two-hour encapsulation of kind of what you can expect this is not a bad place to start so yeah uh, i guess moving on to the question which i think it, it seems like, just based on the people who kind of already dipped into this question, it, it seems like there's going to be pretty much a consensus here. But let's just talk about uh, the new characters that this movie added. Vincent Villaggio and uh, Electra Ovilo. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about how we feel about those characters. I have, like, one point that 
I I kind of was interested in there was I didn't really look into like the deeper themology of the film, but it seemed like I alluded to Vincent almost being like a darker kind of version and spike kind of more like villain kind of like a kind of like a spike vicious hybrid type thing yeah in the chat i jokingly called this cowboy bebop the tree of might um because he's 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 turless to uh goku hell yes hell yes i was just about to say i thought they were gonna bring up in the movie that vincent looked like evil spike First thing I saw, mm-hmm. th- I saw when when that guy came out, I was just like, "Oh, that's his dad." Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I think it's cool. Like a villain who thinks he's in purgatory is really good. Electra's a really typical anime lady because even though she's like a ruthless murderer, you just like catch her off guard once and get, she gets flustered like a high school girl. Neither of them are really like standout characters. I agree that they should have been fleshed out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I only have like one and a half points, I guess, about the uh, about the villain. I guess the most positive thing um, that I'm going to say about him that any of us would have to say is he, I feel like he's um, he works decently as just like a physical yeah, threat for like, sure in the, in the yeah. action scenes and stuff. Like he is, um, he's definitely like imposing. So he works on that level. It sounds like not so much any other level. I guess just to bring back the uh, the assault <laughs> yeah. stuff one more time. Like it's there. But like it doesn't it feels like that it should be like central to his character like it, it should like inform like it, yeah. but it doesn't seem to really or if it does it's not really brought up enough to warrant it i, I kind of got my thoughts out there but um one one small thing was that I, I couldn't stop noticing was that vincent and um vincent is a voice actor with timmy turner's dad from fairly odd parents yeah i was um, and I, I was wait, gonna, what? i was gonna bring him up actually uh he's, wait, what the he's, fuck? he's voiced by uh darren norris who is mm. also uh the like commander in team america world police holy shit yeah he has a lot of like american voice roles um outside of anime stuff and, and i couldn't hear just mm. timmy like it, for the most part you don't notice it it's only on like certain lines but i, I just couldn't help but hear um Timmy Turner's dad doing a uh, gravelly voice, doing his um, uh, Dark Knight voice. But uh, other than that, yeah, Electra's kind of flat. Um, I, I feel like there's there's something interesting there, but we never really get to see it, unfortunately. Yeah. And sort of the same with Vincent. Yeah. Uh, so recently I went through um, the, like the work of David Lynch and I watched Mulholland Drive and I kind of have this like wonder if there's a viewing of this because they talk about dreams a lot that this almost is kind of like a dream perception of what spike is going through and like vincent and um Mm -hmm. electra almost like his internal thoughts like personified as characters almost in like a way like kind of foreshadowing almost the real folk blues like finale which i i don't i really want to like go into rewatch it a couple times to go into this more but i really just it's after seeing mulholland drive and like analyzing it i kind of have this thing where i'm like okay if dreams are involved (laughs) i kind of watch it for like this filter you know where it's like characters and like the entire film is just the personification of like people's sort of like um subconscious thoughts and stuff so that's kind of all i had to say about that but I, i don't know i'm gonna joe i don't have time to rewatch this movie don't try and um bring up interesting things he already wrote it off i think that's an interesting (laughs) take i guess my opinion on them is that they kind of have that like uh filler character syndrome where they they're kind of just aesthetically interesting and not super interesting on any level really deeper than that 
Uh, and like Rain said, uh, I think Vincent works as an imposing force. That kind of makes him interesting. <laughs> but I think Bebop has more interesting imposing forces like Vicious and Piero Lafoe. I think they they have some cool moments, but they should have been fleshed out a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, moving on to the last real big question, which is uh, the soundtrack. And uh, Bebop is a series that is very well known for having very good music, which uh, was a series composed by composer Yoko Kano. And if you don't know that name, you probably don't watch anime. She's one of the biggest composers in anime. She always composes a very compelling score. She has so much great work in her background, like uh, Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, Escaflone, Wolf's Reign. There's there's so many incredible scores that she's done, and she absolutely brings it to Bebop as well. And the movie uh, brings her back, and uh, she brings back some of the contributing artists that she worked with in the series, such as uh, Mai Yamane and uh, the Seatbelts and some others. So uh, what, what, are you, what are your thoughts on the movie's soundtrack, Austin? There's this line in the beginning where Spike is walking around town trying to get info, and the song just says, maybe I'm just dumb and horny. And it was like really odds. The moment was very 2000 odds. Uh, the other big standout about the soundtrack is there's this track called Powder, where people like the, the sort of operatic chanting, and you knew shit was hitting the fan when Powder came on. Like the room is 3D now, and there's butterflies. It happens a few times in the movie, and it reminds me of the sort of one-shot Mr. Robot episode where they played Knee Play 3 off Einstein on the beach just to scare the fucking shit out of you. It got real when Powder was on. Uh, I, I guess Yoko Kano and the seatbelts are sort of, like, they're they're on that level with, like, the pillows for Foley Cooley. Mm-hmm. They did really solid, yeah. solid work, and I would dare to say that Yoko Kano's work is more diverse. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Rain. I, I couldn't imagine this film without without mm-hmm. the soundtrack. Um, like it gives it so much identity. So that's uh, that's my two cents. Uh, Ethan. Yeah, no, um, this was a very, very good score from Kano, very eclectic. I, I know her primarily for Macross Plus um, and uh, Tournay mm-hmm. Gundam, um, which are both very good, but a bit more um, straightforward, straightforwardly orchestral throughout, or um, uh, a little, mm-hmm. little bit more, um, well, in, in turn A, um, more straightforwardly orchestral, a bit more straightforwardly, like, synthetic uh, for Macross Plus, good blending of those elements. Here, uh, you can definitely see your calling on, like, a lot of different, you know, cultural influences and that sort of thing um, that, that sort of reflects the uh, the setting in a really interesting way. Overall, just, you know, really outstanding work um, throughout. It, it sets the stage in a way that's that's very unique and complements the visuals so spectacularly um, while also functioning as really good music on its own, um, which is about the best thing you can ask for out of a soundtrack. Um, or all just really great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Ed? So if I were to count up from three, like do like a count up from like the top three things that make Cowboy Bebop iconic. Number three will be the um, English voice acting cast. Mm-hmm. Number two will be Watanabe. And number three will be Kano soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's what drove it's, it's like I think like Faye, like I said earlier, Faye kind of hooked me in or kind of 
like reeled me in. But what made me stay was the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I have um, the original Cowboy Bebop soundtrack on my phone that I like. It's in my playlist that I listen to all the time. But when I was listening to this, I was like, dang, the well, dang, the movie soundtrack's pretty good too. I'm like, I'm about to put, I'm about to add that to it too. Like I never really uh, thought about it, but um, the music is just so good. It's how it gets integrated. Um, like I just the last thing I watched from Watanabe was um, Current Tuesday, mm-hmm. which is like you know I think that's like the him coming full circle in his like series creation of like just making a whole music series and I'm I don't think um, I don't think Connor was in that but um, he does music so well he incorporates it so well in the scenes um, mm-hmm. like literally like if you go back into the Wayback Machine to the the era of the AMV on YouTube era these scenes with these songs could be really good AMVs you know um like the the dog fight scene and the music playing there, the all the fight scenes, um, the the low moments when the characters are walking down the streets, um, it it just doesn't stop. Um, it only stops to like you know have dialogue, which you know that. But um, it's 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 the music's really good. It's a, a high point in the movie. Um, high point in always a high point in the series. Um, and every time she's involved, I'm I'm listening. So absolutely, yeah. Yeah, uh, Joe. This is a banging soundtrack. <laughs> every every song on there, just <laughs> straight bangers. Um, I I think it was a lot different from the original series, like in a lot of terms. That the original series kind of has this more kind of blues inspired stuff, and it's kind of mainly focused on that. But I think this had a lot more diverse like genres of music mm-hmm. involved, a lot more cinematic. Kind of, I love Powder. I think it was my favorite like song from the movie and I think it was very akin it reminded me a lot of like Ghost in the Shell kind of like the opening scene with all like the chanting and stuff yeah overall I just like really it felt like a more kind of a natural evolution of like the series soundtrack for like for where that came from Mm -hmm. and honestly it just it it was just amazing yeah Um, it's just great yeah I think you definitely nail it on the head there uh, with it being sort of an evolution of the serious soundtrack uh it definitely feels like it's bringing the same kind of uh notes as the serious soundtrack but it's stepping its game up just a little bit it's like this is the movie this has to be just a little bit more and i think it delivers absolutely um and yeah and like you were saying the kind of diversity the more like cultural stuff adds to sort of the atmosphere of the film as well and it helps with these little vignettes of people going around and asking people things in these different places um and it it makes for some really uh neat montages it really helps in that Mm -hmm. regard yeah i guess uh that's about all i'd have to say about that so just for our final little note uh this past week, we got some photos uh, for the new upcoming live-action Cowboy Bebop series coming to Netflix. It features John Cho as Spike and Mustafu Shakir as Jet, Daniela Prinetta as Faye, and A. Corgi as I. So, uh, yeah, we got some photos of them in their uh, set costumes, and it kind of sparked some uh, conversation online. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on that i have very quick yeah thoughts. yeah rain go ahead everything looks great except like john uh what was john the Cho. john um, spikes actor john, john um pretty solid actor from what i've seen but 
man, I'm just going to, I feel like what everyone says is he, he, just, he seems a good decade yeah. or two too old for the role. It should have been Andrew Koji. When I saw that John Cho was getting the role, I was like, oh, that's fine. He's a good actor. But then I saw Warrior and I was introduced to Andrew Koji and I was like, why isn't he Spike? Go back in time. <laughs> he needs to be Spike. He, he yeah. looks he looks like the guy that Spike is based off of too. Like, <laughs> It's it's fucking crazy. My mind is blown. Like I think we need to re- push the reset button. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Cho's fine, but um, I think that's a missed opportunity. And that, that's all I want to say about that. I'm gonna watch it. I love Cowboy Bebop. If as long as they have the same director music, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. All right, awesome. It all comes down to money. If they spend a lot of money on it, it'll probably be worth watching. That's my Netflix thing. That's, I don't know. That's fair. <laughs> uh, Ethan. Um, it it looks fine. Um, it'll probably be kind of fun, something different. Um, it will not serve as a replacement for the anime, and it probably won't right. do things quite as well. Um, you know, just nature of the beast. You know, um, just because it's the first thing most people have seen. Yeah. Um, it it will always sort of that that's sort of the tragedy of them not just making their own science fiction show with with space mercenaries, <laughs> space bounty hunters. Is yeah. now it'll just always sort of forcibly be compared to Bebop, the original Bebop, um, and and mm-hmm. people will kind of. And it sort of constrains the lore in a way, um, its own sort of universe. But I mean, it'll it'll probably still be fun and good and cool. It looks fine. Yeah. And Joe, I'm really impressed from a, from like a visual standpoint. I think just a lot of anime adaptions are just a far cry from their source material, like Dragon Ball Evolution and like the twenty. <laughs> this is like the twenty seventeen. Was it twenty seventeen Death Note? Has it been yeah. that long? Holy yeah. shit. But yeah, like I'm really impressed with the costumes and the production design in general. But I'm still kind of like a little cautious because I don't know if it's going to have the same tone as the original series. Like the Cowboy Bebop to me is like a show that is serious at some points, but also has these really bizarre and kind of wacky moments to kind of like, and the characters feel kind of charming. And I'm worried that they're going to kind of take this in like a Punisher Daredevil kind of Mm. perspective where they're going to just make it really kind of gritty and stuff and kind of not really introduce some of like the more fun sides of the series. Also, I have a question. Does anybody really know who the showrunner of this is? Because Andre Namek is who's developing it. He wrote the screenplay for Ghost Protocol and hasn't done much else very okay. attractive he worked on okay. alias back in the day there, gotcha i don't know so i think in general it's it's gonna be a thing I, if it gets more people interested in the old show then i think it's done its job but yeah besides that i i don't know yeah that's that's pretty much my feelings on it is uh, i hope that it brings more people to the original series and i hope it's cool enough i think it'll mm-hmm. probably be fine if it's a fun enough uh, show, I'll, I'll watch it. I'll, I'll definitely at least give it like the three episode mm-hmm. test uh, to see yeah. if it's at least worth watching all the way through or just uh, stop. Yeah, hopefully it's a fun enough show. Uh, hopefully it's interesting. Um, yeah, that I guess that pretty much uh, does it for us. Um, any departing thoughts? I will say that uh, I have I have I have two anime that I count as like perfect, uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, and then this. Mm-hmm. They're like there's perfect anime. So fair enough. Yeah, I guess that'll uh, do it for us. Ed and Joe, thank you both for coming on to the podcast. Uh, if, if you have anything you want to promote. <laughs> 
Um, I guess, um, I guess just like I'll drop my website here probably. So, um, if you want to, um, I am a editor slash colorist in the St. Louis area. So if you guys want to like work together on anything, um, just hit me up. I'll put my website in the description. All right. Thanks for having me again. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Uh, and thank you <laughs> for watching this podcast. Uh, if you are listening on any of the audio <laughs> platforms, go ahead and leave a review because if, uh, helps boost us in the algorithms and if you're watching on YouTube, thanks for watching uh, go ahead and give a like if you like the video, go ahead and give a subscribe if you want to watch more of our videos and hit the bell icon because YouTube decided that subscribing wasn't fucking enough tune in next week when we talk about the new Candyman remake and uh, that'll just about do it for us today we are signing off thank you for tuning in to the Bomb Squad podcast <laughs> And remember, you're going to carry that weight. See you, Space Cowboy.